welcome to Act Your Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Corinne. And I'm Tasia. And today we are talking about Ray Bearer by Jordan Ifueco with the return of special guest, our friend Aubrey. Hi, Aubrey. Hi. Thanks so much for coming back to join us here today to talk about this book, which uh, Tasia and I had not read at all and read solely on your recommendation, which is pretty unimpeachable. We always know that we can trust your book recommendations and this did not disappoint. We loved it a lot. So we are very excited to discuss it. But before we do, friends, what is everyone obsessing over this week? I ask as though I don't know. We should just we go all- with the one we all have in common. Let's mm-hmm. just start with that one. Yeah. So um, as as of the time of this recording, we are recording a few days after the release of Drumroll, Please, Rule of Wolves by Leonardo Dugo. And yeah, that was kind of full-fledged this week for the three of us. I know based on the conversations that we've had off air. Spent a lot of time thinking about that. Still am. Still am. Yeah. It was, we will be covering that for an episode, but just, I mean, we could just talk about it a little bit here. We all loved it. I think that's kind of the, uh, yeah. the general consensus. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, was it a perfect book? No. Did I absolutely love it? Yes. So, yeah. I mean, it was great. It was, it yeah. was really fun. Good um, fucking food. It, it really was. We were well fed by a lot of things in that book. <laughs> if you have listened to any of our Grishaverse episodes, listeners, you'll remember Aubrey was on our Shadow and Bone trilogy episode. We talked about our predictions of where wolves were going to go. I haven't gone back to listen to it, but I think we got a lot of things wrong. Oh, so, oh some things are definitely wrong. We definitely got some things wrong and some things that I'm glad we got wrong. Like I, I yeah. appreciated Um mm-hmm. Yeah. Not getting. Yeah, those I think we were right. trying to we were trying to temper our our expectations mm-hmm. and not like hope for too much, but which which was nice because of how it all turned out. So yeah, yeah. So that was really fun. I'm still catching up on sleep, as I told both of you, because <laughs> we all read that like 550 page book at an alarming clip. And when books come out on Tuesdays, it's very unhealthy. So yeah, obsession. Not good for my insomnia to start reading that book at midnight and then just not sleep that night. Really haven't done that in quite a while. Yeah, but it was worth it, I think. I did. I don't know what the rest of you guys. I guess you do all have other things written. I did read a couple of other things over the last couple of weeks now that we're on this kind of biweekly schedule here. I read a book that was recommended, I think, on the pod, actually, by a friend of the pod, Jesse, which is The Inheritance Games by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. It is a YA kind of thriller, more of a mystery book. If you are a fan of the Truly Devious series by Maureen Johnson or uh, the Charlotte Holmes series by Brittany Cavallaro, this is a great series for you. It is kind of like those series mashed up with the movie Knives Out about this girl who finds out out of nowhere that a random wealthy stranger has left her the sum of his billion billion, billion, billion dollar fortune. And she has to move into his house uh, as part of the terms of the will and contend with his family, which includes four very dishy grandsons, all of whom are great and has to, she embarks on trying to figure out why this guy chose her to inherit money. And it was very fun. And I liked a lot and have bought a physical copy after getting it from the library, which is the true sign of a good, of a good book. And I also want to briefly shout out this new romance series that I have found, not not really new, new to me, 
romance series. It's the Bergman Brother books by Chloe Leese. L-I-E-S-E. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing her name incorrectly. It is a series of inclusive romances. Chloe herself is autistic and writes interabled and diverse romances. And um, the second book in that series in particular features an autistic main character. Uh, She also has written characters with hearing um, impairments and rheumatoid arthritis and generalized anxiety disorder. And it is called the Bergman Brothers series because it is a la Bridgerton. Each book features a different sibling. There's seven siblings, two girls, five boys in the Bergman family. And three are out so far. They are very fun. Finish them all at an alarming rate. And the fourth one comes out in the fall, she just announced. So really liked those. How about you, Aubrey? What else are you into besides... Besides rule of wolves. <laughs> so I just read The Children's Bible by Lydia Millet. So this is, it's an adult book, but I think the main characters are all teens. So I feel like it's one of those that kind of crosses the boundaries. Mm-hmm. It's not very long and it's kind of an odd story. It's um, almost dystopian. It's about climate change here in the U.S., And so it's like a near future world. These kids have iPhones, um, but the climate change sort of impacts are coming. And so their parents have reunited. Their parents are all college friends at this house and they didn't know each other beforehand. So they're playing a game while they're there at the house to keep the other kids from identifying whose parents are whose. And while they're there, they also like a storm comes in. And so they leave their parents at one point to go somewhere else to find shelter because their parents are just useless. They're like numbing themselves out and unable to take care of them. It feels very sort of like allegorical to the way that previous generations are passing down the consequences of their choices to younger generations. It was a quick read. It's really interesting. You know, it definitely makes you think about the state of the world. So I really enjoyed it and I did not know what I was getting into. And it's called a children's Bible because one of the youngest kids, one of the moms gives him a children's Bible to Mm. read and he starts taking lessons about like what they're supposed to be doing from the children's Bible. And there is like in this storm because they're near the coast, there is a flood. So he's like trying to imitate Noah at certain points, not in like an actual religious way, but more an idea about, you know, what the children's Bible is saying about like nature and science. Um, It's difficult to talk about, but it's really, it's worth reading, I think. Cool. Yeah. And then I've been watching The Expanse, which is based on a bunch of books. So I'm about to start that sci-fi series because. Excellent. Have you watched it before? I had not. My parents have been on me about watching it and I watched all five seasons over the course of like oh, several weeks and oh my like gosh like me a couple of months ago very 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 good yeah. I decided to give myself a little break before reading the books but I definitely want to read them I think the last book is coming out in like November or something so yeah I get more of the world at Tasia what are you obsessing over besides again rule <laughs> Well, I read um, something you talked about here a while back, which was actor age Eve Brown. Mm -hmm. And that is the third Mm -hmm. of the Brown Sisters books by Talia Hibbert. I think each one of them just gets better. 
And yeah. uh, this one was great. I loved it so much. Um, it has one of the hottest scenes I've ever read in my entire life, like, which is really saying Oh something. my gosh. It's yeah. alarming. Not much can make me blush, but I was like jaw on the floor. Like, like this is such a privileged problem to have. I <laughs> did talk about that when I got an advanced copy of it via NetGalley. And the fact that I could not immediately talk with anyone about that scene for like months makes me like not want to get an advanced copy of anything again because it was not fun to sit with that alone. But then every single person who has read it since like knows exactly what scene I'm talking about. So yeah, I totally agree. It was Spice City, USA. I don't know how you handled that. Like (laughs) just sitting with that on your own with nobody to scream to. I can't even Since like November. It was not good. Anyway. And then I also read A Song of Wraiths and Ruin by Roseanne A. Brown. And that was also very good. I think we're probably going to cover it at some point, so I won't go too much into it. But it is also based on um, African folklore. Mm -hmm. And um, it is also a planned duology. I think this one is too, right? It is, yeah. Yeah. So um, I am looking forward to the sequel to that one as well. That one's going to be really good. I think it was supposed to come out in June. And I think because COVID has a way of messing not just with the publishing industry, but everyone's own uh, mental health and their own like ability to process things and do their work. I think it's right. pushed now till November. So something I look forward to in the fall for sure. So I'm glad we're all making room for other things in our lives besides the Grishaverse in the last couple of weeks. Cause that has really been all consuming as we, especially as we get up for the show too. It's just like, we're going to be like broken records on this podcast. Every time you see us, we're going to be talking about the Grishaverse for a while now. So get used to it. Yeah. Get used to it. That's what's coming for y'all. But today, before we dive back into the Grish first Full Tilt, uh, we have this awesome book. And as we always do, we want to start with a summary of what happens in this book in case you haven't read it and you just want to listen along with us here today or you read it a while ago and you need a refresher. Tasia, take it away. All right. Tari Saya has been brought up in a home with a lot of servants and tutors, but with very little love. Her mother, known only as the Lady, is mysteriously away for long stretches of time, only visiting Tarisai rarely and re- usually just to check her progress on her studies. The servants and tutors refuse to touch Tarisai for fear that she will steal their memories, for she has the ability to see the memories of people and objects when she touches them. One day, as a small child, she decides to run away from home and is intercepted by an, er- by an Eru, an enslaved spirit cursed to fulfill a wish, and finds out that he is her father. Her mother, as one of her three wishes, forced him to procreate with her in order to make Tarisai after learning that he could not fulfill her last wish to kill the emperor and his young son. He cannot fulfill that wish, but Tarisai can, and due to her half arrow blood, she is destined to fulfill her mother's wish when she commands it. Back at home, she is prepared to go to Oluwan City as one of the potential council members of the emperor's son, Dio. But before she leaves, her mother finally issues her command. When Dio chooses her as a council member and anoints her, she will kill him. Dio is meant to choose 11 council members, one from each of the kingdoms in the empire, and once chosen, they will be inextricably connected to him psychically and emotionally through his ray. Each of the council members also represents an immunity, such as poison and organ death, and once all of his council members are established, the only way he can be killed is by one of them. Before each council member can be anointed, they must truly love Dio and he them. Tarisai does not want to kill anyone, so when she is chosen as one of Dio's favorites, she refuses to be an, an anointed council member, as does outcast Sanji, another favorite of Dio's. 
After Tari Sai rescues him from a fire set by one of the lady's followers, Tari Sai finally agrees to let him anoint her, but only after she uses her hollow on herself to erase all memory of the lady and her command from her mind. Several years later, teenagers now, Tari Sai has developed romantic feelings for Sanji, but the relationship is forbidden as council members can only be romantically involved with the emperor who will never marry, but is expected to produce a Ray Bear heir with one of his council members. Sanji reciprocates her feelings and they plan to meet up late one night after a festival. But before that can happen, the lady finds Tari Sai and restores her memories and the final wish the lady commanded. Instead of Sanji, Tari Sai meets Dayo in the night and stabs him but misses his heart. He is saved and healed by Sanji and Kira, Tari Sai's council sister and best friend. Dayo forgives Tari Sai instantly, knowing she's not under her own influence. Tari Sai decides to ex- exile herself for fear she will try to kill Dayo again, and Sanji goes with her. She returns home to find her father, and he tells her that the only way to escape her mother's wish is to find a larger purpose for herself. He tells her the story of her mother, that she was the emperor's little sister and had her own ray, which she used to anoint some of her own council. When she revealed this to her brother and offered to rule beside him and share a council, he became enraged and banished her, which is why she wants Tarisai to kill his heir so the lady and Tarisai, who has her own ray, can replace them. Her father then tells her that the lady has been captured by the emperor's forces and will undoubtedly be put to death. Tarisai returns to Olawan City and is informed by the emperor that her first act as the heir of the high judge will be to sentence her mother to death for treason. The first ruling of the heir of the high judge is a ruling that cannot be reversed. But at the trial, Tarisai instead says that she will not judge the case and instead judges another case, decreeing that the emperor's unity edict will be reversed and that the countries within the empire no longer have to give up their stories and histories and cultural differences. Furious, the emperor decides to kill the lady on his own, but when she threatens the emperor's high priestess in Bali, who is the lover of the high judge, the high judge throws the emperor off the tower. Wu In saves Mbali, but accidentally kills the lady in retribution for lying to him about protecting the other redemptors, children that are sacrificed to the underworld for protection of the empire. In the ensuing chaos, Wu In grabs Tarisai and takes her to his homeland of Songland, which is not part of the empire, but is the only place that has had redemptors born. Tarisai finds out that it was her royal ancestors that set the terms of the pact with the underworld to only choose Songland children as redemptors. She rushes back to Oluan City to stop Dayo from renewing the pact and offers her own soul to the underworld instead. They agree on the terms that she create her own council with every leader of each of the 11 countries represented. They give her two years to accomplish this and good lord that was the longest summary we have ever had on here I think. (laughs) This book is so dense. It's so plot heavy. In a good way. Yeah in in an excellent way. So apologies for the exhaustive summary but I feel like that was still the bare minimum of what happened in the book. Well, and I think what's really interesting about this book too is there's also a lot of themes here which we want to talk about and it's always what we focus on in terms of our discussion here on this podcast, but so much of it is tied to the plot in a really clever way that makes it feel so propulsive and so rewarding, everything that happens. Everything that happens is so intentional and so connected to the characters' journeys. You know, there's some books where, you know, I was thinking back to like when we talked about Six of Crows, so like they go on the heist, they break into the ice court. Ta-da! Like we never talked in detail about what the mechanics of that plot was because it wasn't as important as the character's journey, but here it's so integral. So uh, like, and when we, when we covered the Raven cycle, when it was like a hundred percent about the character's personal journeys and plot, who's what plot? Blundauer who? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Him. <laughs> uh, no, exactly. So that's what I thought was so 
great about this book because from chapter one, it sets up the plot in such a compelling way. It never feels that dense when you're reading it. Like it feels, it feels obviously really rich and compelling, but it doesn't feel like you're being inundated with this heavy, you know, hit over the head with a, with a plot hammer. It mm-hmm. feels all very natural and propulsive. Right. Yeah. It's got just like a lot of momentum going through it. And I mean, you have these, you know, you have a big time jump too, sort of in the beginning of the book, right. which I think is good. It gives time for like these relationships to develop and you don't see them off um, develop that way. But I think she does a really good job of still portraying the depth of the relationships between people, even, mm-hmm. even when you've missed that right. sort of like four years in between. I was texting uh, Corinne about it as we were reading and I told her like, this is such a great example of show don't tell. Like she's not just telling you that these people like are in love or these people are really close to each other. She's showing it to you even with that time jump and you don't get to see that development happen like in real time, but you feel it. You feel it in your bones because she does such a good job of, of expressing that between them. This always seems to be the case recently on this podcast where I read something Maybe not necessarily with this podcast, but in particular, some YA fantasy books this year that I've read, where I've read one book that kind of does something very similar to the next fantasy book I read. And then the second fantasy book just like blows it out of the water. And I say that because I I'm, I, won't, I don't want to like bash a book here on the podcast, but like I read a book that had kind of similar themes, a found family, um, a demon kind of based heroine like Tarisai is here. And exactly what you said, Tasia, that is my problem in retrospect now that I'm thinking about it was that book just told me everything. And it also executed time jumps in a way that were not satisfying or and were confusing. Whereas here they felt very natural. And I felt like I didn't miss anything because literally like two paragraph passages are enough in this book to set up these relationships. And it's so deftly done. It's incredible work by Jordan Fico. Just mind-blowing stuff. She's so good. So good. The introduction of Harithai and Sanjeev's relationship is so short. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I totally buy that you are best friends and that you are going to be in love with each other. Yeah, there's no denying it. You like you believe it instantly. And that so rarely happens because so, so many authors will just tell you, oh, and now they're in love. And you're like, uh, OK, I don't believe <laughs> that for sure. But yeah, I mean, from literally the first page, and this rarely happens anymore. We do a lot of reading over here, as you might imagine. It rarely happens now that I am instantly hooked on the first page, and I was with this book. Right. So speaking of the first page, I think maybe that is a kind of a good place to start, which is the idea of how Tarisai grew up and one of the more pervasive themes on her journey, but also for other characters in this book is the idea of kind of where you came from and what your family structure was like and how you can kind of grow beyond that. Yeah. The first chapter of this book is essentially Tarisai's origin story, her creation story, which is that her mother wants to find a way to get retribution. We find out more against her brother um, because she's a ray bearer and she should be the empress of this kingdom and basically Hans, a demon, essentially she, she basically tricks him. He tells her there's rules that you can't do this. And she finds a loophole to have it so that her daughter has to execute her wish. And wow. She literally creates her daughter to be her weapon. 
Right. And then has the audacity throughout this book to be like, oh, you don't care about me. You chose to forget me. You're disappointing this and that. And I'm like, and and God, poor Tari Sai. Like, I don't blame her at all for still want like craving her mother's approval because she was never given it ever. But it's devastating to see. And like Sanjit is like looking at her this whole time, like she's completely lost it because why would you care? Like, why would you give this person who does not give a shit about you except for like how she can use you, like your loyalty? Yeah. That moment when she finds out that her mother has been in the house the entire time that she was like never really traveling and that she was watching her, but that she was so afraid she would accidentally use her wish on something else that she just denies Tarasai this, like what she wants, you know, her mother knows that she's crying for it the night and just doesn't, doesn't do it, man. It's just devastating. Yeah. I mean, I do feel a little bad for the lady, not really about how she treats her daughter, but you know, the idea, yeah, that when you see her with her brother, when she proposes that they like share a council before he banishes her, that she is this loving person, that she really was kind and good hearted. And then to be thrown out on the streets and the way that that hardens so her. Yeah. yeah. And so unprepared that you feel like the way that that trauma has transformed her into this person who could do that, who could leave her daughter crying for her out of a desire to have revenge more than anything. And it is that generational trauma too, because then when you, when you read the story about how the ray bearers are created, when they find that out in Songland and you learn that basically the first emperor did the same thing to his sister. Yeah. And it's just denying those stories. Yeah. They just write the women away. And, you know, maybe if they didn't write from the start, none of this would have happened. I always think there's that verse in the Bible that talks about how like the sins of the father are, you know, paid upon the children, like two to three generations. And I think it's about this, like the effect of, you know, that those decisions, the trauma that it causes, Mm -hmm. it can't help but impact kids on down. So it's great to see like Dio kind of helping Taras, I like break free of that trauma. Yeah, they're really going to be, they're really set up at the end here to kind of like break this, the mold here of this horrible system that they've kind of been locked in and which is founded in a lot of ways on this unjust treatment of women. And what I think is so interesting about the lady, especially if you compare her to the emperor, to Dio's father, the lady's brother, you know, he's just very much a, a clean cut villain. Like, you know, it's just, he's not a villain in that he's like, he thinks he's doing evil. He thinks he's doing the right things, but he's what we can recognize as a villain because we know that things like trying to eliminate different cultures is inherently bad. Uh, But what makes the lady so interesting is that she has so many layers to her and you do feel moments of sympathy for her and what she's been through. But then she, on the flip side is like, gaslighting Teresai left and right. Like it's so bad. I wrote in my notes, that the lady is to me like a mage level parent. And by that I am referencing the mage in, in carry on Simon's dad, because this is so bad how she treats her own child. I can't well, similar to the mage, like her villainy is rooted in her pragmatism. Like it right. is like, there's a coldness there. There's a, will do anything to accomplish what they see as the greater good. Right. And it and is kind of a greater good. It, in it is like, right. Yeah. So fast, like so well done. And what 
I like about how it relates to Teresa and how she progresses through that is she has a lot of confidence that builds throughout the novel, but her moments of kind of regression come at the hands of the lady. For instance, after she finds out that the lady has been there the whole time, she you know, comes back to the Capitol and is ready to confront her mother. And then immediately the lady is going on about how children are always so ungrateful. You had a lovely childhood. And Teresa stops and, and starts to think, oh, yeah, like maybe she's right. You know, it's and that's so hard to see. Sanjit tells her in that moment she's manipulating you like she always has. She made you ashamed of wanting your own name because the lady has never called Teresa by her name. Or how can you think that's what love is? It's so hard to see, but then the lesson that is so great, I think, and then then Jeet has this kind of same issue too. She says, you know, I don't know. You only get one mother. It's like your father and Sanjeet's father was awful to him. He hurt you. But can you imagine, truly imagine having on the other kind? These like poor babies, these like terrible parents. That's also an interesting note about um, how he says, how can you think that's what love is? Because I mean, look at the council itself like in and like the enforced love there mm-hmm. that kind of reinforced her own weird twisted image of what love is yeah i have a yeah. lot of th- thoughts on the council which will like i do too we, yeah. we get to <laughs> for sure because no i agree there's like a lot of conditions on love in this world in a lot of ways and the characters are kind of having to navigate through a lot of that there and but i think what's good is that ultimately Terry's time in particular, like her ending with the lady is satisfying. At least for me, her emotional progress with the lady is more is good. Plot wise, I had some issues with it. I wonder if you, what you think about it. So the whole main conflict that's set up in the book from the beginning is that Teresa is going to go to the Capitol and she's going to feel love for Dion, vice versa. But the lady's wish is going to compel her to kill him. And then she sets on a, out on a journey after she does stab Dino um, to figure out how to overcome that. And the easiest way to do that is to kill the lady, which she doesn't want to do because that's really hard to try to kill your mother. So her journey is to like find her purpose because if you have a purpose, a person's purpose outweighs and strips away someone else's wish. It, it's more important in this world, in this magical system. So for me, then the fact that the lady is ultimately killed by Ween kind of like a fluke situation narratively stripped away what I thought would have been a really rewarding moment for Tari Sai's journey in this book to overcome this horrible burden her mother placed on her. Right at the end, she, I like the last chapter with the lady. I feel like she's been able to move on from it. But again, and when we're talking about how plot ties into themes here, that to me was like a disconnect. I don't know if you guys felt that way. Is that just me? Like the whole idea of her having to kill Dio just immediately is extinguished as soon as Uin kills the lady. Well, it's interesting too, because um, in that moment, the emperor also dies. So there goes like the entire conflict of, well, pretty much the entire conflict. Now that the rest of the conflict is with the underworld. So that's what I would imagine the next book is going to be. Right. But yeah, it is interesting that they kind of eliminated the emotional conflict of, yeah. of the story already. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how that impacts them in kind of the next book or what sort of new emotional conflict she's able to introduce. Because I imagine it won't just be the underworld. Well, and Um, I thought that 
ultimately this book, it would be in this book. I could see that the Redemptors were going to be part of like the overarching story. I thought like this book in terms of dealing with the lady was going to be handled like in a slightly different way. But I do think though, still, like I said, her Teresa's journey in struggling with her mother worked really well for me. You know, I think if they hadn't brought like the the mother's shade back at the end, I would have had a bigger problem yeah. with it. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, they needed sure. that confrontation. Yeah, sure. because I, that would have felt like just leaving the entire emotional thread there dangling. But because she did get that closure with her right. mother, I think it right. that did a lot of work to make that okay for me. Well, in this passage too, this is earlier in the book, but now reading in retrospect and how the end is might have changed the fact that. Is not the one who figured out how to support her mother. And the passage is this. He says to Sanji, even monsters can surprise you. And he says, Don't call yourself that. And she goes, Well, you know, I I, I feel this compulsion to kill Dio. You didn't choose to feel that way. Does that matter? It's still me. For years I told myself I was nothing like the lady, that I would never be her. But my mother is part of me, G, just like your father is part of you. No, it isn't fair. No, we don't deserve the burdens that our parents gave us, but we can't defeat monsters we won't face. So in some ways, like, yeah, she didn't really get to face the monster of her mother in the direct plot way that I would like. However, she still has to deal with the emotional burden of the lady and what being the lady's daughter means for her on an even bigger scale now because she is technically like the empress of this kingdom now, right? So the lady was not... a problem that can be overcome, like the emotional trauma of having that upbringing is not something that can poof be undone in a clean plot way or in a clean emotional way. So maybe that is why that plot kind of ended a little differently than I thought I was going to. And maybe a bit more of that. Yeah. As we go forward. So that idea throughout this book is, I think is so good and, and so well done. We we talked briefly about Sanjeet too and how his, his upbringing was terrible. And uh, it actually makes me really sad at one point because he says something like, I'm like almost that like he's grateful for not grateful to his father, but he's like, well, it gave me like the connection with you, like this horrible burden we both have to, to deal with. I know how to relate to you in that regard. I also think it's interesting to, in terms of Kira, in terms of her relationship with her family, this very conservative upbringing that she had and this idea of like moving beyond that and like questioning women's role in the world was also really good. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Like she just, I was going to say Kira, like in particular, the way that the world just keeps getting bigger for her and even like the bounds of being a council member Mm -hmm. kind of are restricting um, yeah they I told- love i love their whole little unit i it's so good i can't yeah. even get over it it's they're all they're all precious and i love them well and i want to read this quote from kira and then maybe this can segue into us talking about the council here and this idea of it so kira has this i I had to stop and like think of how old these people are this one she kind of has this like romance going on with ween and i'm like oh am i I'm immediately shipping this, but I'm like, why do I feel weird? Like even Tarzai has that moment though. She's like, I, that makes you, I guess, like, isn't he like, okay, he'd be like your older brother. Like she's like, she she wants to say he's old enough to be your father, but then she's like, wait, no, he's actually not. I guess he's old enough just to be your older brother. So yeah, I'm into, I felt weird at first. I was like, isn't he way older? But like he was a literal child when he was anointed by the ladies. So he's probably right. No more than like a 
a decade older than them, I would guess, right. which yeah. is still something because like they're teenagers, but yeah, they're like 18 or something, but like, yeah, it's, it's I'll allow it <laughs> in this world. Uh, but this is, so they have bonded on this journey to find Tari Sai when she and Sanji leave the capital to try to find a way to defeat this, this kind of curse, essentially that Tari Speaking Sai of that, I want that novella. I want to read their yes. little their little trip. Yes, yeah. me too. Because give like, that to me as a mm-hmm. short story or something. Oh yes. my god. Yeah. Yeah, I want all of it. But this is what she says. Our families are like wounds in mine. We both had parents who kept us in bubbles, families who feared change, even if it could mean helping our own people. Ween and I have both grown too big for our home. So we left and we've been lost ever since. And now I wonder if we left one cage only to find ourselves trapped in a larger one. So that really leads, and then too, as I said, into this idea of the council and the empire and how those kind of stay in relationship to each other. What what are your guys' thoughts on the council? I mean, it's such an interesting way to bring these sort of countries under the empire by like taking a child from each country to represent them and the way that you have to really love each other, but then can't be away from each other without physically becoming ill like it becomes a yeah like it is it does like a toxic relationship yeah it's like you you can't be separated you can't you can't even have your own thoughts because you're in each other's heads um and but then it there it's also like restricting because you can't council members cannot have romantic relationships with each other they can only have romantic relationships with the emperor so it's yeah, it's all very like a, like a toxic relationship. Yeah. I think to you know at the beginning we're so set in Tari Sai's mind where we she wants love and she wants family and it's so compelling here. And it's very clear to me that they all do actually really love each other. Like you can't get over the fact that Tari Sai tried to kill Dio who you're all like sworn to love if you didn't actually have love for her and love for this community that you've had. But I agree there's something bad about the Ray connection. I think that it's a little have. bit insidious, and it I also think it's, yeah. I think it's also notable that this is all happening. Like they they come and they do the Ray, you know, the bonding and all of that when they're children. And like the lady says at some point, like when she realizes that Wuyin does love her before she um, anoints him as one of her council, like she realizes, oh, this is why they do it when they're kids because love between children is so completely uncomplicated. But it's it's notable, I think, that these are all essentially orphans. Like they've been given, some of them are literally orphans, but some of them have been given up by their families in order to compete, to be in this in this council because it's a great honor. But they're starving these children of love and then making them love each other. And then, so of course, of course they develop these really intense bonds. And then there's like, it's a literally a magically enhanced bond. Yeah. It's so complicated because like you said there, I mean, there is, there's a strength in that bond and the way that they're able to lean on each other um, and support each other. But the cost of it is just so much. And even when you think about like, the adult council members that we see for the emperor and the way that um is it in bali in bali like that relationship status 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 yeah with status like that relationship is something they're not supposed to be doing like and you can tell that i mean in bali because she was also friends with the lady 
has to have a little bit more complicated feelings about the emperor, the fact that she tells that story at the beginning about the mango tree. Yeah. That the kid keeps like chopping down. Yeah, she's trying to protect Tarisai. Yeah, but I mean, she tells that story even before Tarisai shows up in the capital. You know, she's told that to the emperor and it seems like it's about the lady, but maybe about other things as well. Like, I have to imagine that for them to to just be trapped there and never be able to, like, stop loving or leave this emperor, even as you don't think he's clearly making the right decisions. That just feels like it could, you know, luckily, like, Dio is lovely, but, you know, what happens if they're not? What happens if you get, like, in a council for a monster? Right. Well, one of the biggest things I think for me, ultimately, like with the idea of like the the connection that they all have, the ray bond that they all have, and then the council sickness that they have is the council sickness to me seems very kind of allegorical in terms of you're getting sick when you're trying to separate, but like that's that's not a good thing. It just like it's kind of not a good thing to try to like keep an artificial yoke on these different realms like through this empire it seems to me that that is a sign that shows like that this connection is is fraught is insidious as you said because it's like it's keeping people together in a way that they shouldn't be which makes me think then too going forward like what is going to be the status of ray bears and and being connected to people via the ray because the ray was created in an insidious way by the first emperor the first emperor Inoba captured a demon kind of right just like with Melu Tarsai's father and he got the wishes and he wished for a way to keep all these realms together and that's what brought them together in kind of like a Pangea like structure is how I envision it in my mind and then he needed a way to enforce that and so they created the ray and then he stole his sister's ray and swallowed both of them so the ray was created under very nefarious circumstances. And I just don't think it's going to exist going forward, like in the next book, like it's going to be gone, but the love I thought of that at all. That's a really interesting. Yeah. I just think like the love then that Tarisai feels like with her council members is strong enough to, to transcend that loss of this more superficial connection. Right. Well, because the the Ray bond can't even happen in the first place if there isn't already genuine love there. So you just have to hope that after a certain amount of time and there's no more Ray to enforce that, that that love is still there. And I think it will be because I think they they all do very genuinely love each other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The scene where they come through and like, I'll lean on you and you can lean on me. Oh, God. Um, And when she's so worried this whole time that when she returns, like her council is going to hate her because, you know, They'll have no, found out about her stabbing Dio, and they just Im- immediately come up and hug her and surround her. Oh, I just, I love it. I do. I love it, and I love like the scene where they're braiding, getting their hair braided mm-hmm. together, and you really get to like feel that warmth and that connection. I mean, they've built it in so many ways outside of the ray and that time that they're spending together. Right. So. I read an interview with Jordan Fuego about, just wanted to see where she got some of her ideas here and how she's like really well researched a lot of things and a lot of things are based on real, real cultures. I mean, she, the empire, the Aluan, the empire here is based on the 
ancient kingdom of the Yoruba, which was her mom's Nigerian tribe. Songland is inspired by um, an ancient dynasty era in Korea. Uh, And Kira's religious upbringing was like a sect of uh, evangelical Christianity that Dorothy Fuego grew up in. So she's done a lot of like really cool research. But one of the things that I really liked that she drew from real life is the idea of the council is inspired by the fact that she grew up going to a very small school with only like 17 children and they were all so bonded. And like, she wrote the first version of Ray bear when she was 13, because like, she was just inspired by this group of the friends that she had. And like, you know, they're 13 year old who think that they can like conquer the world together. And so that makes me hopeful for the idea that like, they don't need this type of connection like I love in the so long much. term yeah. it's so cute it made me I so guess. happy that's uh, so great so she's she's great but i i recommend like reading all her stuff she's very has thought out things a lot and it, it's really cool to see but i think that in kind of what we were dancing around i think in discussing the idea of like council sickness and this insidious way that they're all drawn together is I think, the larger themes of like anti-imperialism and anti-colonialism in this book because wow it could be so heavy-handed and it's not Mm -hmm. so well and the commentary on assimilation Mm -hmm. i think is is a really important one because um aubrey i think you actually have this in your notes but you talk about how relevant it is to today yeah i mean i think about um the way i mean in the u.s particularly we like react to um, immigrants from like Mexico and people are like, well, they need to like start speaking English. And why are they having parades where they carry the Mexican flag? And why are they cheering for the Mexican soccer team? Like they need to be all USA in order to be fully thought of citizens. And it's kind of like, well, they don't need to be just like us. And it's something that happens, you know, anytime like throughout history, when you talk about immigration, that the idea that you have to become immediately like the country that you're in, or else you're not really accepted. And it makes me think, you know, even on like a, a less like international level, but the way we talk about colorblindness as kind of being the goal to get to, like, well, I don't see color. So that's fine. But instead, we're kind of like erasing people by sort of erasing the differences or different cultures or different cultural It's a big, you know, different experiences. Yes. Oh my gosh, it is. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the combination of like the assimilation and the idea that order is equivalent to justice. Yeah. Like it's not fairness. It's about order. Like all of those things. I'm just like, oh yeah, it's, it's very all lives matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, It's super dark and but and it's super uh just forever relevant mm-hmm. in yeah. society like assimilation is always encouraged above everything um order is always going to trump justice in in these systems like this so it's yeah. yeah it's it's one of those those ugly mirrors yeah yeah and then it did make me think too i don't think it's like quite as direct of a parallel but like how these systems work is that we also use that same kind of mindset to totally other different groups of people. For instance, like Africa is perceived as this very like large monolith when it is not at all. It is so distinct. It's also come up over the last few weeks with the horrifying events against people of Asian descent and Asian Americans and the differences within Asia, which is a very large continent. So 
you know, it, because this is particularly written by a Nigerian American author, I think it's also pointing to that of like the flip side of that is not great from an outsider's perspective because you can't think of, of countries that way. You can't think of people that way. That's not how we are. It's not, there is no one way that certain people are. It, it just doesn't exist in that way. So I just think that it was also well done. And again, not heavy handed in this book, but you see this idea of, of burning history, you're physically burning history in this mm-hmm. book and it, and requiring people to use empire approved names versus their think realm names that they've always had. And it was just all so, so well done. I And so much of so that, much. that good stuff comes from Oween when he's uh, telling, um, Tari Sai about, you know, she's like, oh, well, um, when <laughs> Inoba, yeah, yeah Inoba. Um, you know, he, you guys refused to be, Songland refused to be a part of the empire. So he just let you be. But and he's like, that is not what happened at all. Like, it's just one of those things where history is just rewritten depending on where you are. We never get the full story. We're always told some version of it. And he's like, no, that's not how, what happened at all. They couldn't beat us, so like, it, it don't go around thinking that this. What was he like, Inoba the Perfect or something, or Inoba the Peaceful? Yeah, I mean that should have been our like main and clue, right? That he wasn't. Mm-hmm. As if they're around calling him and Inoba he's like, the Perfect. He's like, yeah, sure. Some some kingdoms joined him will willingly, but like, do you think that you're gonna conquer an empire without shedding any blood? That is not at all what happened. So her kind of waking up to the. The, like the cracks in these stories, I think was really well done. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And then just like the importance of storytelling and like being able to preserve yeah. your own stories and the way that um, they decide, you know, with that unity edict that that's what they're doing. They're going to like destroy their songs and their poems yeah. and all of that and getting rid of it, which makes you think about how important it is to yourself as an individual to keep that you know to keep your own heritage in the way that you can lose that and it is also like a pretty common tool of colonialism yeah. um, especially you know. calling it you know couching it in something pretty like the unity edict yeah. Really yeah. about destroying cultures and like you think about what the english did to the scots and and destroying clan culture entirely and mm-hmm. that's just that's what's happened all over the world in so many different different ways yeah. against England for most of it. But yeah. <laughs> England perfected their colonial yeah. ideas on <laughs> Scotland and Ireland and mm-hmm. banning their languages on their stories. Always fun. Yeah. One of the things that I love them, we talked a little bit about her journey already is, uh, is how Kira kind of moves through some of this stuff, which is a little bit of a different way than Tari Sai, but she is positioned at the end in terms of being kind of like an ambassador to Songland. And I'm really interested to get more of Songland in the next book because you know, when they're kind of researching some things in the library here, when Tari is gearing up for her first trial that she has to do, Kira's seeing that like the, in Songland, there's poems for everything. Like they're looking at the world in kind of this more beautiful way. There's like a poem for, for the farming, a poem for this. Like, and so I, I really love how she starts to see more of the beauty, especially like where she came from with this family who, who really kind of encouraged very myopic thinking 
I love at some point too, she says, I know it's wrong to question the emperor, but every time I think about changing the old song, my blood starts to boil. Maybe, maybe it's all right to be angry. That just made me really hopeful too. Again, we're talking about why YA is beneficial to us as adults, but one of the, I think the encouraging things about this last year is how people younger than us, the target market for YA, are really kind of spurring into action on a lot of social justice issues. And so we love to see that. And I love to see it reflected here in such a natural way through characters. Oh, this is great. Great stuff. Oh God, just like I have some other like really good quotes here uniformity is not unity silence is not peace she says it to them yeah oh, that was my favorite quote oh my so Ooh. good oh i'm sorry to steal it i didn't know chills <laughs> no but she like says it in that moment at the end of her trial to all the realms present in each of their individual languages ah chest kiss mm-hmm. perfect moment and i like this too so so sage and why is entire side why does everyone hate change so much i demanded and then Sanji says, because things could always get worse. Maybe. But you know what I think? I think deep down, we're afraid that things could get better. Afraid to find out that all the evil, all the suffering we ignore could have been prevented if only we cared enough to try. Like, that's what they're, like, going to do. Like, they care enough. Mm-hmm. They're going to try. And I think then that maybe if we're kind of done talking about this angle of things here, leads into Teresa's journey through this book. Because where she ends, right? Like, her purpose, her belly song is is justice for people and like i like i've got chills reading that quote which comes like i have goosebumps right now yeah (laughs) for her to like say that from the beginning and then how she gets there at the end is wow was really good and i mean speaking of goosebumps lines in this book like the prose the prose is just gorgeous it was the first thing that caught me and i was just oh man it's it's really good and it's not purpley at all it's n- it's not overly flowery or in love with itself it is just beautiful it's so good yeah no 100% i think it's just uh it's so clear and everything is just and evocative you, yeah and you read some of these quotes too and it, it feels like the way people would actually talk and yeah all at the same time it can so be natural. like inspiring at certain points yeah definitely just what it's just so well written. It's great. Mm-hmm. So as to like Tarsai's arc, like generally that's where I have so many of these quotes because like these big chilling moments that again, they don't feel like grandstanding or anything, but just like it's such a natural extent from her to see her move through like her isolation growing up, her overwhelming desire for love to like sticking around and trying to fight through what she knows that this wish her mom has like embedded in her is going to ultimately call her to do, but like being torn between that and like her need for love and her want for love, which is so natural. And to ultimately realizing that she's more than that. It's just this. It's so, it's so good. When I, one thing I really love too, and I wish this pretty short book again, plot a lot happens and I don't feel like it's necessarily rushed in any way. But that said, I do wish there are more moments sometimes sprinkled in to let certain ideas breathe. And one of those for me was kind of her, the whole journey out to find Melu that she goes on with Sanjeet. And then like her kind of revelation about who she is going to be and kind of like embracing this new side of her. And what we got was great. I just wanted like more of all that. I could have like stayed in that where she returns to Swana, like that whole portion of the book even longer. 
<laughs> Tasia texted me. She's like, I, I'm happy that they didn't send Jeet and her didn't fight for so much longer because I want them to be happy and be together. But also I want more of that like tension. Yeah. Yeah. There were a few examples in this book where I felt like the conflict could have been mined a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you brought up earlier with the mom, um, Sanjit, uh, Dio, there should have been conflict there, but there wasn't. And I appreciate that because it really just shows how connected they are and how much they love each other and and how good Dio is just at the core. Like he just knows that Tarisai is not really trying to hurt him. He knows, he believes in her and he he acknowledges that she has certain uh, skill sets over him that make them a good ruling partnership. But also like that was, that's a source of conflict there or it could have been, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, like on the one hand, I'm happy that it wasn't because I I love that there is an unnecessary conflict being dragged out for pages, but maybe just a little bit more. Just a, just yeah. a wee bit. That's fair. I do like that Dio knows all along, even before she stabs him, that her love purpose it. is to kill him. It makes me think of, sorry, spoilers for a several years old movie, but Arrival where like Amy Adams character, like she does it anyway. She knows what's going to happen and she does it anyway. And I feel like Dio, it's the same way. He's like, he does it anyway. He knows she's going to try to kill him and he's still going to make her part of the council. Can we just talk about how good Dio is? Oh yeah, let's dump just... here really, really, really quick here. <laughs> he is the now. goodest boy. Like, goodest boy. The sweetest little cinnamon roll that ever cinnamon rolled. And you know, like, again, because I am a shipper, it's who I am. I can't do it. <laughs> I can't like unring that bell in my head. But like, I. I have a hard time sometimes with triangles. So I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know who to root for. I don't know. But like, we have like good options here and it like worked out perfectly well. But like at the beginning, I was like, oh no, everyone's great. Everyone's great. What do I, who do I want? What do I like? Um, yeah. I was living in fear of this coming like a uh, love triangle that I thought I saw. And I'm so glad that it didn't turn out that way because again, that would have made narrative sense. It would have been an authentic source of conflict. Unlike I think a lot of, uh, love triangles, right? Um, this weird rule where like they all have to just like offer themselves to Dio and like they can't mm-hmm. like the there can't be hanky panky amongst the rest of the council, but like wink wink, we're all gonna engage in the hank. It was all like so messy, and so yeah, it would have been really natural in the flow. Yeah, of the world. but it in- would have made total sense. But they didn't. She did. She made I think um, the stronger choice here to not make that a thing, and yeah. I really really like it. Not only did she not make it a thing, instead she said, "We're going to have some asexual re- representation here." And so thoughtful that so oh, good, yeah, so good. I'll just read that quote. Tar, yeah. he whispered, "There's something I should tell you. I don't, I don't think I want sex ever, and I don't mean with you. I mean with anyone, girls, boys, anyone." He stared at the leaves on the ground, smooth bro- brow furrowing. I mean, I've had crushes before on you, on G, and some of the others. I've just never been interested in the sex part. Sometimes I wonder if I'm broken. You're not broken, Dio. (laughs) And the fact that that comes like right before she stabs him, I'm like, no, he's he's revealing his his soul to you right now. (laughs) I mean, it's not her fault that she stabbed him, but you know. Yeah, poor sweet Dio. Um, Great moment though. And like something that we could definitely use more of in these in these fantasy worlds and just any YA fiction generally. I mean And we love a boy who already has so much power, but he looks at this girl who is supposed to be subservient to him and he goes, But you're better at this than I am and I want you to have as much power as I do. Like he could have easily been like, 
no, this isn't cool. Like we're, you know, we're on opposite sides now, but he acknowledges that this woman is a capable leader and he wants her to lead. And we love that. Yeah. And it's nice because you get that, that balance then between the two of them of, you know, sort of Tara says a little more pragmatic and maybe a little more, I don't know how to put that. She's just a little bit more hard and he's a little bit more soft and that's, you need a good balance of both. Right. Yeah. It seems like it would be, if you're trying to like bring all of these countries together, you have someone who people will feel affectionate with and then someone who's going to be pushing them towards justice. That might be hard. And like how that works in the larger grand scheme of the history in this book of, again, as we kind of talked about before, the women just being like written out of history and typical men feeling threatened by intelligent women who would be better at their jobs. Like, I mean, come on, like we, we all know what that's like. So it's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's so well done. So then to get that from, from Dio at the end, say, no, I'm not going to be like Inoba and his sister. I'm not going to be like my father and the lady. He doesn't say that outright, but like, he doesn't even need to say it. It doesn't have to be a grand declaration from him because we've been with him for this entire book and he's shown us who he's been all along and I, I loved it. Well, it's so yeah, good. He's just such a sweet boy. I love yeah. him so much. Yeah. It's great. But then she does stab him and she goes on this journey back to Swana. <laughs> I'm going to lead us back there. That. because it's, like, yeah. it's so funny. She stabs him and he's like, oh, but you missed the heart. We're cool. Like, how do you feel good? Well, he like <laughs> says to her, like, you, you figured out how to save her off, essentially. Like, you figured out how to, like, push back. And so that's our first clue that he, like, knows who she is and what's going on with her. But so she goes in the stream to Swana and I'm just trying to circle back because I love this quote in this moment so much of when she's in Swan. And this is just, again, chills of all these moments for Tar in this, in this book. But when she is trying to find a way to like thwart her, the lady and like this wish. Um, and she, she's thinking about who she's supposed to be. And we have this great allegory too with like her hair, like it's been braided for this, this ceremony or this festival that they had. And it was so tight. It was hurting her. And she told the person doing it and they're like, well, no, this is how ladies in the capital do it. Like you have to be prim proper, like very straight laced, like very ready to go. And it's been hurting her for days. And she's taking a bath and she's trying to like avoid washing. And she's like, you know what? Like basically like fuck this. And this is what she thinks this time. And I love it shameful think of your title ladies reign every strand into place but what title would ever describe me assassin i judge a parent puppet demon vanquisher of bush spirits i had betrayed dale i had saved his life no yarn no matter how tight could hold back the jumble of contradictions that was tarisai of swana then she dunks her hand under the water and comes out feeling lighter and then at the end she just thinks what title can contain me the rebirth imagery there. Mm-hmm. Just like the baptism. Mm-hmm. Oh, That's so good. Good stuff. And um, the three of us as, as white women can't really speak to this ourselves, but I know in looking at Goodreads of like black women reviewers of this novel have felt very validated and love seeing the representation of like the hair braiding scene and all the like natural hair descriptions and everything in this book. So obviously there's such great value in, in seeing that and like embracing that and ah, great stuff. And then again, at the end too, just Ari says, like, again, her purpose here is this, the sense of justice. And we love that for her. Oh, but- when she goes through all the, like, what, what is it? Like 27 lodestones. 
um, practically oh disappearing herself. And then her father comes, I, who I love, by the way, he was yeah. barely around. And I love him because we know I love me like a demon <laughs> demon prince type of not on brand from Tasia here today he was demon in the book for like with wings yeah. right exactly he was in the book for five minutes and i'm like <laughs> i'm simp i'm simping but yeah i loved him let's more of him please well yeah and i think it what was great again she has a great idea or this great ability i don't know if we could have to like create these characters in such small moments and make them feel so well-rounded. And you get such a sense of how much he cares about Teresa, even though he shouldn't, he is, Mm -hmm. he's, they're not. Her mother basically raped him. She did. (laughs) Like she went on. Yeah, she definitely did. But he's he's a spirit. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad she has that one relationship. Okay. Can we clarify a point, a plot point there though, then? So like, does he, like heal her and bring her back together at that point. Is that what happens? That's, that's how I read it. Yeah, that's how that's how I interpreted it. Because okay. he's free at that point from the wish because the lady is right. dead. And he's yeah. no longer restrained to Swana and like the lake. Yeah, mm-hmm. he can go fulfill his own purpose again. Got yeah. it. Yes. So yeah, that so yeah, so I would like more of him. I like the, I forget what her name is. Like little lady. At the near Melu's Lake. That oh, like, um, yeah. But like that bath scene, which I talked about. She like, was like, I told you you needed a bath. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like they come in and she's like, I don't know. I don't got like grand wisdom for you. I can't tell you like what to do. Like, I like you need food. Great. Like you need a bath. Awesome. And then, yeah, for her to be like, <laughs> is a very good moment. And I love her too. That's she's in one chapter. And yeah. I'm obsessed. She's uh, great. It's also good. So I think that covers a lot of the bigger themes in this book, but I do want to talk to you about our kind of predictions and like where we think this is going, because we haven't really talked at all about the Redemptors and Songland and how that all fits in. Cause it, that's quite the, this is not where I thought this book was going to leave off at the end mm-hmm. as I was going through it. There's got to be some way to end this pact with the underworld entirely, right? So that nobody's yeah. getting sacrificed. Um, I also, there's this interesting moment. I don't know if you guys found it interesting at all, but I felt, I don't know, I got like a little a little twitch about it. Uh, it says, I hoped with a fleeting thought that she would bring Aerie. The baby's large, intelligent black eyes surfaced often in my thoughts, a mystery that played on my heartstrings. And that feels like really purposeful somehow like that's it feels almost like that that inexplicable connection that she had with um with Dio you know and they had with each other like they couldn't resist each other and that she had with her mother like almost like that ray thing i don't know i had something like something's up with that yeah i hadn't thought about the ray thing but there's definitely something important about like her relationship with the baby i do really like to that um Oh gosh, now I'm forgetting her name. The girl. Is it Hey Sun? Hey Sun, who comes, you know, kind of back. First of all, that she survives after Tarasai tries to save her and can't because of the cost. And then that she sort of saves herself and so like gives her someone to train with for the underworld, which I feel like will be has got to be at somewhat like their experience going through the bush at the 
beginning of their journey, which yeah. I thought, we didn't even similar, talk yeah. about, but yeah. <laughs> I know there's so much happening. There's so much yeah. happening, but that like moment through the bush, yeah, where there's like spirits trying to call them off the path and um, her having to sort of like break free of that and then go back and save their guard, you know, instead of just like running and getting out of there, having to do that. And I wonder if she goes, if there will be other kids that go that she has to like protect down there, yeah. or if they'll just take her. I don't know. I definitely think she's going down there because again, in my like mm. reading a lot of interviews with Jordan Fuego, she said about, she talked about how like, Oh, you know, I'm excited to see us go to hell and back literally with Tari in the next book. So yeah. like, I mean, and why would you set that up and not? Right. Yeah, so she's not definitely going into the underworld, you know, and one of the things that's just like interesting to me too is, you know, the title of this book is Ray Bear. And at the end of the day, that's Tarithai. Like she is a ray bearer and she is not a redemptor in the way that the story has set them up to be at this point. The redemptors are only from Songland and that's something that we need to change, but like, she going to be a different type of redemptor. Like it's going to be her again. Like she is the title. Yeah. In, in each case. So it's going to be really, I'm, interested to see more songline i'm interested to see this like journey through the underworld i'm interested in like the connection that she seemed to have with queen's cheetah from mm. the underworld i forget the cheetah's name it kind of reminded yeah. me of like a daemon in his dark materials world a little bit because it seemed like there's kind of a connection if you survive the underworld as a redemptor that like you have with the being or spirit that like, helps you travel through like a familiar yeah 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 I'm excited to see what or who her familiar is when she goes mm-hmm. down. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I like the idea that we're getting that, but also still getting like the politics of the other countries because she has to convince all of those rulers to be the ray bearer. And I will admit, I like when I did my pre-order for Redemptor, I read the description that they oh, have for us. it right now. Was it that? So they say, you know, so the first time it's an, an empress redemptor sits on the throne. So she has to anoint a council of her own, come into her full power, and then descend in the underworld. And she's determined to survive, or at least that's what she's telling her increasingly distant circle of friends. So I feel like that's going to oh. be some tension between like whether or not she's really going to go. And she's apparently being haunted by child spirits demanding that she pay for the past sins of the empire. And there's assassination attempts and a handsome new stranger she can't quite trust. Oh. So, Ooh. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm like, this is going to be so much. And like, this is the second, that's the concluding book. Like, that feels like a lot Wait, to deal with. Did you say handsome stranger? Yes. Okay. She did indeed. If, if we, no. If I just have to say it right now, if <laughs> she tears apart my sweet baby Sanji from Tarsai. I will not be okay because I love them. Don't do yeah. that. I do too. Do not do that to us. Yes. I hope that it's just like, I don't know, maybe some like temporary jealousy. Yeah. Because he has very handsome. Also, maybe maybe it's Sanjit's brother as the handsome new stranger. Oh, oh. that's a great <laughs> idea, Aubrey, because yeah, there's a lot with Sanjit's brother. Again, we kind of like danced around Sanjit's horrible backstory, but like his hollow is that he can sense other people's weaknesses so like 
when it comes to like a, an internal injury, he can stuff out like where that is. And because of that, his father like put him in the fighting pits to like kill people and like make a lot of money. And he tried to like protect his brother. And then his brother ultimately gets like thrown into that world by the father. And like, he's just, he was sold to mercenaries. Right. Mm-hmm. And you feel so much guilt about this and when they go through the bush and they're both kind of like haunted by the spirits he's tempted by his brother who like forgives him for like leaving him astray so yeah that would be so rewarding oh my god i would love that yeah and his what his hello is that like he can only tell the truth or he can like see the truth about people the brothers yeah yeah that sounds right Mm -hmm. Uh, that'd be so good Um, I mean, that feels like a reckoning that needs to happen. It, def- it definitely does because she has set up Sanjeet in such a way that he's not just like a love interest. He has like an integral role to play in this story. Their relationship is based on, I mean, there's some wonderful swoon worthy moments, which we will speak about in a moment, mm-hmm. but like the mutual respect in their relationship is, is so good. I love it so much. The support, this exchange. I love you too, Jeet, but you can't be my savior. Well, I won't be your jailer, so what can I be? I held his heavy fist to my lips and crushed the scars. My hope, I said, for a future when kissing you isn't dangerous. A future I added in my head where no child was bound by curses and every daughter had a name. So, like, the I highlighted that- the shit out of that quote. Oh I love that gosh. quote yeah. so much. And, like, he's cool with that. He's like, fine. I'm like, I will. I'll do what I can to help you. But I'm mm-hmm. not going to, like, push you, like, beyond that. And then at the end, yeah, he's like, I'm here for you. You just made this like horrible Mm -hmm. deal. He does say like, promise me, like, it'll like be okay. But like, he's not just very supportive. We love to Mm -hmm. see it. He's a good boy and he deserves to like move through some of these things. Yeah. Yeah. I just wonder if the distance that's going to come is both in like Dio feeling that she's abandoning him again and after promising not to leave and then just not trusting that she won't let herself be taken out of as like repayment for what she views as her sins and the sense of the empire. Yeah. Cause I can and, definitely see that. Well, and maybe too, that leads into though, the idea of the council sickness and how we think it's such a bad thing. This idea of them being connected as a council, because, okay. So Tarisai is a part of Dio's council, but then she has to have her own council. And so how is she going to like straddle those two things? And I can see how, again, this false like system that connects them. It's in a way like many things in this empire, right? Is like sowing discord. Um, yeah. people. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that shakes. Oh, yeah. There's, I'm like feeling more excited about the ending after talking with you guys. Not that I wasn't thrilled with it. I just couldn't conceptualize. There's so much we don't know that I was kind of like, Wait, what? What's going to happen next time? Yeah. And it takes a minute to digest everything that happened because it is so so plot heavy. Yeah. Like just trying to write that summary, I was like, oh my God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and again, I want to keep saying like yeah. too that we don't think like plot heavy is a bad thing in any shape or form. No, no, it's like it, it all is, so yeah. good. In the um, best way, because it doesn't feel like you're, you know, inundated with too much to to handle. But you know, you do want to sit with it afterwards for a bit and think about all the the pieces that have come together and what the ramifications are. Yeah. 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 So superlative time. I think so. I think so. Right. Yeah. 
first category here is, is favorite quote. And I have just so many quotes highlighted and I had more quotes above in my notes and I can't read them all because I've just been like reading this whole book to you. Um, but I've got a couple of here. This one I just loved for the beauty of the prose. I like stopped and like texted the dissertation because I was like, oh my God, like <laughs> it's so beautiful. This is when Parisi is going to leave to try to like figure out how to like overthrow the lady's wish and this hold on her. And they realize someone has to go with her because of the council sickness. Like as long as you're with one member of the council, you won't get quite as terribly sick. And Sanjeet says he'll go with her, even though he's so mad at her at that point for trying to kill Dio. And this is the quote. I hated this. He did too. I could see it in the lines of his face, rigid with pain. We were griots and pantomime, forced to sing every line in this grim story, dancing to a beat my mother drummed. It's so, beautiful. Yeah. Good. So good. Aubrey, what do you have? I have, yeah, something that Melu says to her, which is, stories are meant to be shared, Melu said gently, but no one was made for another person, Tarasai. And I just thought like... I highlighted that too. It's, I think, oh, one of my favorite quotes in this whole It's just place. like, what a strong message and like what a thing for i just think about how many young adult books are like soulmates and um and i i love a mate and a soulmate in a book and and there's a time and a place yeah but i think the idea that like you're not just made for another person that you you are an individual and you have more purpose is so beautiful yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i think we didn't like talk about it super explicitly but like when Tari Tai is on this journey and her ultimate like purpose is justice she has thought the whole time that her whole purpose is to protect and love Dio and that's all she wants to do and that's so noble uh, but then instead again in the context of this quote that's not that's not it mm-hmm. um, got bigger things to do Tate what do you got I've got a couple but uh, the first one is like you mentioned earlier, uniformity is not unity. Silence is not peace. It just—it's a goosebumps yeah. line. Tattoo it on my face. I was just gonna say, <laughs> put it on my tombstone. Anyway, did you have another one, Corinne? Oh yeah, I did. Have I can do one. my this last one. one. Was, I forgot about it, but yeah, I didn't actually forget about it. It's such like a powerful moment when she like is trying to get all these sprites to try to help her find Melu, and they like won't and. She's just like, fine, like, you guys, whatever. Like, this is after the bath moment. We know I love the bath moments. She comes out and she co- comes out and says, I am Terry Sayoswana, and I've seen your stories now. They belong to me as mine belong to you. You don't have to help me change the world, but you mark my words. When I get going, this world will change. And you can be a part of that, or you can stand back and watch. Like, yeah. just again, I think I feel like I've said this a couple of times recently on this podcast, but like insert Meryl Streep standing up and applauding at whatever mm. award show, like, yeah, it's like so that. triumphant and powerful. Yeah. So. I definitely had that one highlighted too. Like, yeah. it's just such a great, a great character moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You were talking earlier, Corinne, about her figuring out that, that like the love wasn't enough and, and, wanting to love Dio wasn't enough to to be a purpose for her. Mm-hmm. My second quote is from that moment. And she thinks wanting to be loved was not enough, but wanting justice to carve out a new story for this world, no matter the cost, that was enough. No human's wish may rule you now. Or that's when um, I think Melu was telling her yeah. that, you know, she, she had accomplished what killing her mother wouldn't have done or her mother's death didn't do at all, which was free both of them. So good. 
So good. Yeah. Favorite character and favorite character arc. I mean, sorry, sorry for me for both. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, as I've already had one meltdown about him and I will have another meltdown in our spoon section here in just a second. <laughs> I did love Sanjeet immensely. I'll save the rest for soon. Yeah. What do you guys have? I mean, I definitely think, yeah, it's also Tarisai, and I did love Sanji, but I also, I really love Kira and Wuin, um, Wuin because I just think, like, they both get to go through such growth, and I just really love kind of how um, less sweet Wuin, Wuin is and how he's, you know. Our poor damaged prince. Oh my god, um, he's he is totally like the angsty prince, like of a lot of people's mm-hmm. dreams. My dreams, just certainly. like kryptonite. Like yeah, kryptonite. Like give it to me, inject it right into my veins. I want that novella. Give me that. Oh short my god, story. now that you guys said that, I'm not gonna be able to think about that in any <laughs> other way. And I don't want to spoil if you guys have this in your spoon section, but the idea of him and Kira as a pair too, because she came from this very like conservative upbringing where women weren't allowed to do anything. And like, she's kind of shocked when they're all kind of talking about kissing. And then she's like, mm-hmm. mm, kissing is that bad. <laughs> and, I, and they kind of make up one of my favorite ship dynamics, which is like angsty and broody plus like sunshine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that is them, I think. Okay. And knowing that Kira is based on an evangelical sect as, as someone who grew up in the evangelical church, not as conservative, but still... And that feels very real to me. And in fact, like knowing that the even the kissing line, like I have a friend who had only kissed ever one person ever in college and it was very, uh, he was not a good kisser. And so she mm-hmm. like did not understand. And so when she finally like found someone that she enjoyed kissing and she was like, now I understand why you like making out. And I was like, welcome oh, <laughs> this world. I love that. You're like incredibly conservative uh, background that you came through. I'm glad for that. So it's fun to see it you know, sort of in a fictional character. It feels very, very true. And the way she blushes every time his name is even mentioned is just so cute. I love them. Well, and also like her just like absolutely not taking any of his bullshit. Mm -hmm. Punching and breaking her hand, punching him in the face. Like these are all the things that you're like, you're taking off all my boxes here. Okay, yeah. so I really, I don't know if this is favorite soon or favorite character. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore, but yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I think we were talking about favorite characters. <laughs> Maybe favorite characters, but, character arc. but both, but both. I, I, I mean, mm-hmm. the swoon there is just like part of that character arc, just like watching yeah. them do that. Okay. I just, I love them. I was like, I could have so much more of them in oh, this book totally. and be really happy, um, which is, I think, proof of just how well she does with like limited amounts of time with characters. Yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. Like, we didn't talk as much too about like Queen, but like his I, his arc too in terms of like being ostracized by his family. He was a redemptor. He went to the underworld. He came out and thought his family would be happy that he made it out. And instead, they're like, "We don't know how to relate to you. Like, we want nothing to do with you." And he just basically doesn't have a family anymore. And so he's so susceptible to the, the yeah, exactly manipulations exactly and so he dedicates his life to finding these redemptor children and taking care of them and trying to prepare them for the underworld Mm -hmm. like he really is taking all of those boxes oh yeah it's just i I mean calm down about this book and now i'm not calm again (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i just his 
slow like unfurling from like this sort of like bossy mean guy who sets the children's palace on fire mm-hmm. this person who mm-hmm. it turns out like is protecting these kids and then to find out that he's been betrayed by the lady by like his own found family that he had i just it's so heartbreaking and then for him to have to deal with the fact that he accidentally kills the lady yeah. um, at the end i just there's just so much there for him so much angst but so much i mean he's just got such a soft heart in there he's a marshmallow yes mm-hmm. oh my god guys one <laughs> face. now i'm like melting down okay and we haven't even <laughs> officially gotten to soon so is there any more we can say for favorite character and character arc, which was such a mishmash the answer is everyone <laughs> We yeah, yeah essentially. Um, yeah, it's That's the I, Fab Four. Yeah, and and Melu because oh yeah, you know. yeah, got it, got to rep that because I got to be love. me. Yeah, <laughs> okay, okay, <rip> <laughs> uh, Corinne, you you've got like the the real answer. Like, right? Yeah, so should... okay, like oh, so as I said at the beginning, like she just really laid that groundwork really well from the beginning. The foundation of Tari Sai and Sanjit's relationship where he's already like separated himself out from the rest of the crew. And he's like shackled to this pillar and she like lets him out like their friendship. The fact that like he, she would take his bad memories from him and she'd also like share her childhood with him. They said like this beautiful childhood upbringing and like, it's just very clear. You just like feel the love it's there. Like she's, looking at him once they're teenagers and like, there's just a lot there and it's great. Oh, but this scene, this Nuina Eve, I think is how you say it is this festival that they have. And there's this whole tradition of like drinking this honey wine and there's like a charm at the bottom and charms mean certain things. There's certain charms that can be traded away. Other charms cannot be traded away. And like, you're stuck with them unless you have someone who, who speaks for you and will, will cross a fire for you essentially. And probably gets hers and then it's, it's Sanjit's time and he gets this death stone and she like walks across the fire for him. And like that, that is great too. That's like swoon as it is. But then after that, that enables him to, to now that his death charm has been taken away, he gets to choose a new charm. So he starts taking the wine and chugging it and getting through all these charms, which are like gems. And he's just like casting them all aside because he can trade them away because he is trying to get, try to get the cowrie shell because that can be traded in for a favor, which is essentially a kiss here. And he, after Tari's eye walks through the fire for him, he's just like one track mind. He's like, I'm getting that. I'm getting that. I'm getting that. He finally gets the shell and he leaves the festival. And she finally goes to find him. And it is, I mean, it's for me, it's the chugging of the wine and the intention and the, and she like says at one point that he like looks up at her with like passion in his eyes. And I'm just like spitting out all of these jewels and throwing them to the ground. Oh man. Oh gosh. It's pretty hot. So like, that's all really hot. And then the, he says at one point, cause it's against the law technically for these council members to like hook up. But he, she, she asks him, which law would you break for me? And he goes, your pick. (laughs) <laughs> but also it's couched in respect as all of their relationship is i think you're eric best hope i think there are people in power who see what i see and they're scared witless and i think i've loved you he said since that night you pulled a shackle off my arm i just like this is all one chapter <laughs> and then so 
think I really love that. And then just again, later, there's a nice callback to that moment where he says something like, you had enough faith in me to, to walk through fire for me. I want you to have that much faith in yourself. Again, Benji, just top-notch book boyfriend. I love you. Done now. <laughs> Muting myself so I can't keep talking about it because I'll talk about it for so long. <laughs> I mean, that is like... Oh, it is such a good moment. It's very swimworthy. All right, Aubrey, you want to go next? Sure. So mine, besides that moment, of course, is at the end. And he is like, initially, he's just worried that she won't come back or that, you know, that she's going to be tempted. And he's like, I need you to promise that you will come back. And he just, he says, and she's like, okay. And she kisses him. And then he just says, promise. He said, his mouth hovered over mine. I will. My voice was a rumble in my throat. My body was a drum and he had struck its core. I do. Then I reached down and touched my ankle. Without hesitation, he drew the calorie shell chain from his pocket and fastened it in place. Slowly, his fingers traveled on my calves, strumming until my skin sang a song without words. Minutes passed and when the music swelled at last, we collapsed in the shape of each other, drifting into feverish sleep. Like, Oh my gosh. I mean, first of all, like, <laughs> I mean, it, that's a pretty like hot moment without being incredibly explicit. And then the mm-hmm. way it calls back to the shell that he has like gone through all that honey wine to get to her. Uh, on the just... anklet that was his only memory of his mother that he strung the cowrie shell onto and gave to Teresa. And then she like gave it back after like she tried to kill Dio and like he's given it back to her. I just, yeah, it's just, you know. <laughs> Do we think they like had sex in them? <laughs> because it is just the most beautiful. It kind of felt like they did. Like the, I felt like the they feverish did. tangling of the bodies and yeah. like yeah. swelling. Yeah, language. the music swelling that felt yeah. like. Which like what a what a what a beautiful and like classy way. It, yeah. It's just really well done, I think. Yeah. And I mean, the, the last sentence we'll in there in. is that their bodies <laughs> remained entangled when our council siblings returned for bed. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, that just. Yeah, that sounds like that sounds like they had yeah. sex. No, yeah. yeah. I just think it's a really I mean it's a lovely way to describe that and like you can I mean it just conveys what's happening like the emotions and the feelings there so well. Mm-hmm. Uh Tasia, what do you have? I mean, yeah, it, you you guys got it, but I got a couple more. That's the problem sunshine girl whose voice was a rumble in his throat when it comes to you I will never stop falling. Which is just tell me, Dad. It's uh, so swoony. Yeah. So swoony. And like I and love then, the nickname. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That is that is definitely uh Corinne Kryptonite. And oh, then <laughs> and Corinne, like you were saying earlier too, about how he's so supportive and like doesn't want to hold her back in any way when he says, I won't bottle up who you are, not even for your own good. And I just want like all fictional boys to take note because there's so much of that, like, I just wanted to protect you and Blah, blah, blah. Like, no, he's he's not going to contain. And we've talked a lot, too, about characters that lessen themselves for for men and yeah. to make their love interests more comfortable. And this is absolutely not that, which I love. It was really interesting. I did have that exact same thought when I was thinking back to the last time you were on, Aubrey, which was for Shadow and Bone. We talked a lot about uh, that dynamic when it comes to Alina and Mal. And, like, this is this is what we want. We want this. Yeah. The Sanjeet part side dynamic is it's so good. Don't take it over. Don't let this handsome stranger be. 
a threat to these two, please, is all I ask. Because it's just, it's really good stuff. And it's super supportive. And not just boys in fiction, like all boys. Let's let's mm-hmm. take a note of that, friends, because mm-hmm. it's good stuff. Yeah, it's just really, their relationship is just, it's so good. It is, yeah. It is really good. And like you said, too, you know, this whole, like, idea of, like, protector. He has that instinct, too. And he wants to protect her in a way that he couldn't protect her brother. But, like, still, he knows that's not his his place and he is physically capable of being that protector too he's in charge of like the military here um that's Mm -hmm. his role on the council and you know he's super tall and strong and we like that for reasons but then like he could physically be a protector is my point and yet he's willing to uh, just be super supportive. Um, let's also, I, again, okay, I thought I was going to mute myself and I'm a liar, but I have to talk <laughs> about how like Jordan Fico really w- turned around and gave us like, there's only one bed here. Oh my well. God, the pushing of the pallets together <laughs> and they're both like <laughs> so embarrassed yeah. about it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So good. I mean, this is another thing too, not necessarily calling out any book, but like there's nothing worse for me than a book that is premised on like a, a, a romance of like someone has to kill someone, which this book kind of is, although it's a twist, like it's, she's not there. It's not romantic love between her and Dio, but like nothing is worse for me when it's premised on the idea of like some conflict in love like that. And then like the love story doesn't work for me. This like hits the love story out of the park, which mm-hmm. was, I just, I've been burned enough that I don't even like try to think about it too much anymore. So that was really surprising to me that it was just such a lovely love story that fits so naturally. And they have like more than just like romantic love for each other. They have a deep friendship too. And it's just so good. Yeah. It's, it is beautiful that it grows out of that friendship that they know each other so well that she knows that he really wants to be a healer, that he doesn't like hurting people. And um, yeah. And they just, yeah, they work as like friends and allies and lovers too. Oh, yeah. I don't, I need them not to break up in the next book. I yeah, need that me to too. be okay. It's like, let me have good book boyfriends that I can count on. It's all I need in the world. Anywho, well, <laughs> away from me there at the end. I was not expecting to go that unhinged. But as I said at the beginning of the episode, did not sleep much this week in a hell of my own making. Thanks in the tandem effort of Rule of Wolves in this book. So, oh, well, is what it is. On that <laughs> note, Asia, do you want to announce what our next book's going to be? Yeah, so uh, in two weeks, in our next episode, uh, you probably figured it out already, but we are covering Rule of Wolves by Lee Bardugo. Shocker. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, we're really excited about it. Like, there's so much to talk about uh, in that book. It's going to be really fun. We may have some cameo appearances by certain people, perhaps <laughs> to talk about some things. We'll see. Yeah, if that's if it's the farewell of the Grishaverse, as it's kind of been touted of, there's uh, just a lot to to talk about, and it's gonna be fun. Can't wait. But yeah. in the meantime, uh, Aubrey, where can our listeners find you online? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Obs Bobs, and I have a newsletter that um, sporadically goes out, and I've been kind of in a reading rut, so it was a little bit on hiatus. At for now, Avriar.substack.com, and you can sign up and hear about what I'm reading. 
highly recommend Aubrey's newsletter. Again, we would not have read this book if not for Aubrey. I mean, I'd heard of it, but like we were talking about, oh, we need to figure out what books we want to cover next. And you did not lead us astray with this one, Aubrey. So Aubrey is one of those rare people. Like there are not many of these people in my life that like, you know, if they say a book is good. Yeah, I trust absolutely believe implicitly. it. So uh, sign up for that. It's, it's great. Uh, Tasia, where can people find you online? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at RagyCakes. And I'm on Instagram at Rin underscore reads. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at ActiaAge. You can shoot us an email if you'd like at ActiaAgePod at gmail.com. And if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate that. Anything else? Do it, do it, do it. <laughs> I don't think so. All right. See you in a couple weeks, friends. Bye. Bye. Bye.